Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Today, we're going to talk about being a spiritual entrepreneur. And you could say, Dave, have you gone off the deep end or something? But no, actually, I haven't. Because the the secret to being especially a mission-driven entrepreneur is you have to actually care about what you're doing. And you can't just think you care about it. You have to actually feel like you care about it, and you have to actually have some kind of hard-to-define spiritual thing that's a part of it. So I like, who could we bring on to the show that's going to talk to you about those kinds of things? And I'm talking about Gabby Bernstein. She's a number one New York Times bestselling author, a big motivational speaker. She teaches meditation, kundalini yoga, and she actually just straight up says, I'm a spiritual entrepreneur. So I want her... I wanted her back on the show uh, to be able to talk about this aspect of what it's like, especially during the pandemic and just during normal times to be turned up spiritually like that. And she's going to be presenting at the virtual biohacking conference that's coming up here. So Gabby, welcome to the show. I like being back here with you, man. It's nice to see you. It's been about 300 episodes. You were on like episode 455 where we talked about judgment detox. That's a long time ago. I've had several books since then. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I probably should have had you on since then. No, it's all good. But you've you've evolved as a person even just over the last couple of years there. And now I want to talk with you about sort of being your own guru. And and your message for people is that they are their own guru, which Mm -hmm. which is weird because... I've had these times, especially when I was younger and I was getting going like, oh, I'm going to go do this yoga thing. I'm going to yeah. go to this monastery and I'm going to kind of get on this path. But eventually like, oh, I'm not going to follow that that guru anymore. I've learned and I, I'm still interested and I've still uh, been able to benefit, right? But it, it's like, that's not exactly my path. It's part of my path. Mm-hmm. Uh, so mm-hmm. my first question for you here, when you talk about, you know, you are the guru, how do people know when they're their guru versus when they're just in learning mode? I think that you are always your guru. You are always your own guru. When you're in learning mode, you are welcoming in information to the filter that is you through the teacher that is you. Okay. So you... I believe that we all have a voice of a higher wisdom, a inner sense of knowing, a greater sense of awareness within each of us. And that's the part of us uh, that needs to be the leader. That's the part of us that needs to direct our personal growth journey, our physical health journey, our career, Mm -hmm. our relationships. When we rely on another teacher or a a self-proclaimed guru or some yogi or whoever, what will happen, and this is actually quite metaphysical, it's if you make somebody an idol and that idol falls, you fall with them. And this is a, it's a, that's a, you know, key principle in the metaphysical text of Course in Miracles. Don't make idols of others because that idol will fall. You will fall with them. So it's about accessing and recognizing that presence of the teacher within yourself and beginning to cultivate and trust that sense of inner wisdom and intuition and the voice of inspiration within you. And when we begin to be more reliant on our own inner guidance system, that's when we can, one, just just feel more free and feel a little bit uh, less, less like we have to do it this way or follow somebody else's guidance. 
But we also can begin to feel a sense of certainty and safety because we're now trusting in our own, the own intuitive voice that's within us. And that's when a real sense of safety begins to set in. Lots of people call you a guru. What do you say to that? that. I don't like that. Even in this Audible original I wrote that called, called You Are the Guru. Yeah. At the end of it, I say, I am not your guru. I yeah. am not your guru. Yes, I am a self-identified teacher, but I am not your guru. And and I mean that because I think that the the concept of 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 making somebody special is dangerous, super dangerous. Yeah. It's funny, Dave, because it's pretty controversial. But <laughs> I won't get too into it. But there is a part of my bio that I'm gonna, I was like, oh, I gotta have to ask him to edit that out. Maybe you will, maybe you won't now. But because there was a path I was on in my spiritual journey that was uh, very transformational for me. But the guru of this path turned out to be a bad dude, right? Turned mm-hmm. out to have be a sexual predator and a rapist. I mean, just awful things, right? Things wow. that we see, unfortunately, in the world. That is something that this is this is a this is a transformational spiritual practice that I the path that I followed that I spoke so highly of and I was like, you know, really out there and really promoting it and really looking to that as a source of, oh, and now I feel good enough to teach or now I feel, and it's not that I was lacking the trust of my own inner teachings and my own wisdom, but I was putting emphasis on someone else and I, right. and I witnessed that. And this, this book that I wrote for Audible originated with these sutras from the teacher. And right uh, wow. around the time that I was meant to submit the book, I you know a lot of this information came forth. Mm-hmm. That's when I had this major redirect where I went and I looked back at the manuscripts. And while each message was based on these sutras, the actual, every single word and concept and teaching in the book was mine. And so it was really clear to me that not only was I able to just adjust the the messages to be more mine, but to really to to recognize that I didn't have to change a single word in that manuscript because it was all my teachings. And then I only added one extra message in the book, which is you are the guru. And it was telling that story of don't make someone else an idol because that idol can fall. It It's a very odd situation, but it, this may be, in fact, I'll tell you, I feel uncomfortable saying this, but sometimes people who do bad things can also teach good things. And that's, that some people are a mix of bad and good, but we have this cancel culture where if, oh, if someone did something bad 50 years ago, you know, we have to destroy everything they've ever created, uh, which I, I find it bizarre, right? But we have this incredible polarized reactionary environment that we're in right now. Uh, and I, I don't really know what to do with that, where you're saying, okay, you know, clearly... You, you look back at Nietzsche or, you know, in, any of these people who've, who've kind of done, well, okay, some bad things, but also some good things. And if you just wanted to study them to find the wisdom and find the mistake, it's almost like, no, you're not allowed to learn the wisdom because there was a mistake. Right. I would, I would definitely suggest not denying the wisdom or the transformation that you may have had. I, I've even said this, and this was the second time that that happened for me because I had another spiritual, a male spiritual guru, mm-hmm. <laughs> for lack of a better word, <laughs> that was really, really influential for me. And I'd written about him in multiple books. And the path, that path was life changing for me. That path was one of the most transformational paths of my life. 
then very similar information about this dude came out right around the time I gave birth to my son. It was super triggering for me. But I remember even saying then to my husband, I said, listen, I, this guy's a horrible human for what he could have done, but I will not take away what that work meant to me. There you go. That's so healthy. That, that work changed me as a human and it gave me a sense of uh, a gr- the greatest spiritual awakening of my life. So I wouldn't ever change that. So you have to, it, it's, it's rough when, when, but that's why you don't want to make anybody a guru because then you can't yeah. actually take the teachings because the teachings now are too associated with the teacher. I don't want anyone to call me their guru because God forbid one day I vote a way that they don't vote. Now they can't, you know, they can't <laughs> love me or, you know, it's like, it's not about me. Let the teachings be the teachings. And if yeah. you don't like the way I dress or you don't like the way I vote, who cares? The work is there to serve you. Uh, that's it's so beautifully put. Uh, so maybe if you're listening to the show and, and you're like, I hate that person because they did X. Well, hey, maybe there was something you could find that was value in there and you don't have to throw it out. And I, I've seen this over and over. Even if you go to India, uh, you'll you'll find there's stuff like that. Almost everywhere, There's there's very few people who are completely pure through and through and have never made a mistake. And sometimes I've done things where you're going, Why, how the hell could they do that? And you're like, well, it's because there's different sides of, of people, even semi-enlightened people. You know, they, <laughs> they do whatever they do when the lights are off and we just don't know, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I accept that. And I actually share that, that perspective with you, which is why I thought it'd be fun to talk with you. I wrote uh, Game Changers, uh, my book, because I'm like, what if 500 gurus, and they're not all guru types, but you know, leaders who've done big things, what if we looked at what they all agreed on? So we could kind of throw out the, the outliers and, and the things that maybe didn't make sense, because then instead of following a guru, and like you, don't call me a guru, it's, it's not a good place to be. It's bad for your ego if you're the person who's being called a guru anyway. But um, I'm like, what would happen if we just kind of summed all that up? And for me, it was transformative to write the book because I had to study all this stuff and be like, oh, why do these guys disagree? Why do they agree? And then just right. to, to boil it down. Um, what you did here, though, with your Audible original, and I'm calling it that because it's not really a book because it's an audio book only. That's not a printed book. So that's... It will what, be a printed book oh, it will. in a year. I will oh, okay. print it. Yep. Oh, mm-hmm. awesome. All right. Uh, I'm thinking about doing an Audible book as well, which like there isn't the right language yet in the world to say I recorded something that wasn't a podcast and it wasn't a documentary and it wasn't a video and it's going to be a book. So whatever you call that, we'll call it audible original now. Yeah. Uh, And you did, and and did you retitle that to you are the guru? That was part of your experience with the guru who will say, let you down. Yes, actually. That was a retitling. All right. Yes. And you talked about moving through difficult times with certainty and faith. And I wanted to zoom in on those words with you because right now, Mm -hmm. Most people listening would tell you this is the most uncertain time in history, whether they're all wrong. World War II. Oh, you think they're wrong. World War II was uncertain, okay? There's bombs falling. I don't know if I'll Mm -hmm. be alive tomorrow. Okay, someone might sneeze, but you have a 98% chance of living. Right, and you absolutely (laughs) can stay in your house. Exactly, you're not. Oh, and Amazon will still deliver if you can afford them. Okay, like- Very, very good point. It's bad, but it's not that bad. Right. Right. So, but we feel this incredible lack of uncertainty. Right. So how do you turn on certainty when it doesn't feel like that's real? Well, you don't turn certainty on. Okay. It's you, you ground yourself in a spiritual condition of your own understanding. When we develop a faith of our own understanding, and it doesn't matter, I always say it doesn't matter what you call it, it's 
All that matters is that you call upon it. And you develop a sense of, of, of trusting in a, whether you call it a higher power, whether you call it God, whether you call it the universe, whether you call it my intuition, my own intuition, just as we were speaking about before, intuition, mm-hmm. inner guidance system, inner wisdom. But developing a faith in a wisdom beyond the fears of the world, a wisdom beyond the logic and reason, a wisdom that is based on spiritual solutions rather than problems, a wisdom that is based on creative solutions. It's it's a it's a surrendered state, truly. And it's and it's a way of living that requires of you to really set aside the practical and to really set aside the uh the 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 logic and it's not saying in any way shape or form that we ignore the realities of the world that's not at all what i'm saying i don't live like that at all but i maintain and sustain a belief system that is open to creative possibilities trusting that obstacles can be opportunities and even trusting that those obstacles can be often detours in the right direction so it's just a different way of living i mean we we live in a way where we're thinking about things in uh, in with only with our physical sight, but right. when we start to develop a, a spiritual sight, uh, a, a vision beyond what it is that we can actually see. And I know I'm speaking in really esoteric phrases, so I want to <laughs> I want to really bring it down to to a grounded way. But think about it this way: if you can, instead, let's say you're struggling right now because you lost your job. Every single day you wake up and you're just constantly in this this mantra: I can't get a job, can't get a job can't get a job. I'm in lack. So many people are unemployed. How could I even find a job? We all know that we are, that we in that energetic state are not feeling very good. You're in a pretty resistant, low vibe place. That energy of resistance is going to create more resistance in your life. Imagine though, you wake up and you just started to say and affirm to yourself, yeah, I don't have my job, but I'm open to creative possibilities. I'm open to creative solutions. Even the subtle shift of the openness, the the willingness to see through a creative lens is going to shift your energy, Hmm. it's going to change your attitude, and it's actually going to open up your consciousness to receive new information. So what will happen is, is maybe that day you otherwise would have been in a shitty mood and you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't have played this podcast right now. But then you were in a better mood because you were open to creative possibilities. You started your day with a different attitude and you're cooking your breakfast and you're drinking your bulletproof and you're like, let me go listen to Dave. And then you hear this podcast or you hear any one of your podcasts. And there's something on that podcast that gives you a spark of inspiration. And that spark of inspiration gives you another idea. And that idea leads you to send your resume to somebody who just said that they needed a new, new so-and-so, right? So it's it's yeah. a ripple effect of, of really expanding your consciousness beyond the limitation and opening up to possibility. And when we speak of possibility, that's when I speak of spirit. That's when I speak of the universe, because that's, that is an abundant uh, flow of possibility that is available to us, even in the most uncertain times. I feel like certainty or uncertainty are just code words for fear. Yeah, totally. Okay. Now, in my view of the world, being a Silicon Valley guy, what a feeling of fear does is it it tightens up your firewall. <laughs> so yeah. anything that comes in will be repelled, right? right? And a few things will get through, but they're usually things that are useful for detecting a threat and then countering it. But That's things right. that are useful for getting a new job, finding a new love, 
uh, you know, doing the things that you actually want, those are specifically excluded by fear. So it's not that you chose not to do them. It's that you cannot see them because that firewall repelled them from your consciousness. So even though your eyes got the the photons, your brain didn't get the message because 100%. it was safe, 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 okay. safe. You have so, to be safe enough to receive that kind of okay. inspiration, right? So when, just to really piggyback off what you're saying, because I know there's a question coming, but I want to really yeah. add to what you're saying. When we, when we are in that hypervigilant state and the amygdala's alarm system is constantly going off, it just, just we, we, we absolutely are not in a vibrational state. This is my language now. Mm-hmm. We are not in a vib- vibrational state to receive inspiration. We yes. are in a place of resistance. We are in a place, and just exactly to your point, what you see cannot be received as a even possibility. Right. Uh, that that I, I can't receive it. I can't see it. It's not there. You know, yet it could be there. So, so there's some kind of a, and you said you can't turn on certainty, but you talk about trust and you mm-hmm. talk about openness, mm-hmm. right? So if someone's sitting here going, okay, I don't feel trust right now because no matter who I vote for, I'm screwed, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is a common belief right now. And, mm-hmm. you know, I don't have a job right now. And, you know, this other list of internal things that are actually mostly not true statements. They're beliefs that that are that we assume to be true. So they become a part of our reality. Mm-hmm. Is there a, a breathing exercise? Is there, you know, some weird uh, esoteric so dance much. you do? Like, how do you go into a state of trust if you're yeah. genuinely not feeling it based on what you see? I lived for 39 years of my life in a place of hypervigilance and yeah. lack of trust. Yeah. I uh, am 40, almost 41 now. So it was most of my life. Uh, I have Yes, yeah. I know. Uh, you know, I, I've, I'm a, a, a survivor of childhood trauma. So PTSD will just, mm-hmm. des- will destroy your nervous system until you can claim your trust in your life back. Yeah. Right. So uh, for me, yes, these, these practices that have saved my life, originated with a spiritual foundation, which was the willingness to become new, the desire to be led and the openness to the grace of God that would lead me to the next right doctor and therapist and teacher and whoever you may want to refer to. And so what helped me get back into a place of trust was not just prayer and meditation, but radical, transformational Spiritual and psychological practices such as EMDR, yeah. which I think is, is something that I want to talk about as much as we can here so we can really help people today that are feeling unsafe. Um, somatic experiencing, uh, IFS, internal family systems. I've, I mean, I practice these, these practices regularly. I, I practice and teach EFT, emotional freedom technique. We could even tap on the show today. There's, there's, a, there's so much work out there in, that can help with self-regulation. Mm-hmm. And what's happening right now is that, number one, everyone's traumas are getting kicked up because we feel out of control. Yeah. In addition, people are, who maybe thought they'd never lived with trauma are actually experiencing a trauma in this moment because it's a collective trauma. It's a collective trauma. Now, if you're listening to Bulletproof Radio, then you're going to get out of this okay, because you're, you're even if you're just listening right now, <laughs> there's a willingness to, to, yeah. to grow. There's a willingness to grow. And so this can be a time, and I keep saying this, this is either a time of one of two things. One, we're going to numb out, 
you know, eat, eat the, eat the, eat the non-bulletproof chocolate and, you know, <laughs> drink the coffee with the real sugar and whatever. Right. Or we are going to wake up. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when we have the privilege of being uncomfortable enough, that's when we crack open to the possibility of what can be. Yeah. So the, the getting back to safety can start with a prayer. You know, I, I, it has to be better than this. And that prayer cracks up your cracks open your consciousness to listen to this podcast today. And on this podcast, you hear about somatic experiencing, whatever it might be. Right. right. So you see how I'm talking about how one thing leads to the next. And that's all spirituality to me. That list of things you talked about, uh, you talked about EMDR, somatic, I'm reading from my list here, um, internal family systems, all those things. I have done all of those things on my path, and I mm-hmm. want people who are listening to know that stuff. So, you know, here you are, you know, attractive Gabby Bernstein, spiritual non-guru. Uh, here's the thing. It doesn't matter what your background is. Uh, if you're feeling that uncertainty and things like that, you have stuff in there that's going to be invisible to you. And those are some incredible tools. And I, I do want to go deeper with you on those tools uh, after we, we talk a little bit more about a surrender. But I, I want to acknowledge right. that you said that. I want to call people's attention to that because those weird things that make zero intellectual sense are incredibly valuable tools. And they don't have to make sense. They're about feelings, not about thoughts. And in fact, the more you apply them and practice them, that is the only thing that makes sense. Yeah. You start, you know, and also when you even start to unpack the neuroscience behind some of these techniques, it makes a lot of sense. It really does. Right? It's it makes a lot of sense just just really opening up your your ability to be safer in your nervous system because of the changes in your brain. So we can talk we can talk about all that. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about we're we're going to go deep on on some of those uh, technologies and techniques and and things like that, but you said another word here that could be triggering for people, and it was surrender. It is triggering. That is the most <laughs> triggering. You know, it's funny. Um, I wrote this book called Super Attractor, and it it's it's methods for manifesting a life beyond your wildest dreams, and I mean it, and it works. It works. And people would come to my book tour, and they were like, "Show me the manifesting methods," you know, like right. give, me the, give me the tricks, Gabby, right? And when I get to this part about how surrender is the key to manifesting everyone in the room would go, Oh, right. And it's, you know, nobody wants to let go. No one wants to surrender, but frankly, surrender is the key. What is surrender? And I I know what I think it is, but for someone who's listening, who doesn't know what surrender is at a visceral level, just at a cognitive level, what does it look like? What does it feel like? How do you do? Surrendering to me means that we forget what we think we need. We start rather than praying for an outcome or, or, or hoping for an outcome or obsessing about an outcome. The shift is to pray for the highest good for all. And really, even that simple adjustment is a is a radical act of surrender, It's a radical act of surrender, because we're every day we wake up and we're like, Okay, I'm not not actually I'm not in this place anymore. I really, really want to I want to really, really drive home that what I teach works. Okay, and what you teach works and what you know, the practices that we're speaking about here work because I don't wake up anymore thinking about the future. I don't wake up anymore worrying about the how to I don't wake up anymore. And it doesn't matter how successful you get 
or how, you know, great your family is or whatever. You can still wake up with that loop of the when I haves, right? Yep. And the controlling behavior. So it doesn't matter. You know, you can say, oh, that's easy for you, Gabby. You know, you, you seem happy in your life. No, no, no. I've lived many years with a lot of outside successes, but very unhappy in my life because I was still, you know, in a clingy way. When we learn and practice and embody what it means to give over, it's not a giving up. It's a giving over. Okay. And sometimes giving over is requiring of you to let go of the ideas of what you think things should be and how you think things should be and when you think, think, think things need to come into form. And often our expectations of what things should look like are actually very limit, limited in comparison to what they can be. So welcoming in a practice of surrender is really can, can begin by simply shifting from what you think you need to that, that intention every single day. So I, I, I know I want this thing. I know I want to change. I know I want this health. I know I want this outcome and I, you know, I, I want it and it's okay to want it, but I also turn it over and I pray for what's of the highest good for all, because when I do that, maybe there's something better coming. Maybe there's something better coming. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD plus even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD plus. Check out Qualia NAD plus risk-free for up to a hundred days at neurohacker.com slash Dave 15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave 15 Qualia NAD plus. It's what I use. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. It's, it sounds weird, but that is exactly the, the path uh, as far as I understand it. I mean, we've, we've come to our, our awareness via you know, different, different paths to get there. Um, I, when I'm meditating or, or whatever else, the other practices I have, I usually say, I'm grateful that things happen the way they're supposed to happen. A hundred percent. You're saying the same thing. We're saying it, the same thing. It's similar, right? Yeah. It's also on its face, flat out stupid. As a computer science guy, like, I have no actual evidence that things happen the way they're supposed to happen. And I have no direct knowledge of some overarching intelligence that that says that this is how it's supposed to happen. Um, I do have some thoughts and some some things around how there is an emergent algorithm that's a distributed system that I could go down with. And I can also at the same time be like, yeah, I was doing that drumming ceremony and you know, I saw these things. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe I did meet God, who knows, right? Uh, 
because you can't know. That's the idea. It is that it it's it's ineffable. There aren't words for that stuff, but it's it's got a a feeling to it. But I say yeah. that and I practice the sensation of gratitude for things happening for the right reason because even if I'm wrong, that sense of self-deception that I might be turning on is still valuable and useful. So no matter what I win, totally. even if it's all BS, I win. And if it's not BS, which I think is true, I win. Well, what? let me help you see okay. how it's not BS, okay? Yeah. So I write in Super Attractor that it's good to feel good. Yeah. So you know very well that when the greatest things that have come in your life, inventions, butter in your coffee, whatever it was, was something that came out of a sense of feeling good. Sometimes it, maybe it was, maybe you were feeling bad, but then you got, you know, on a kick to get better. Right. And so the, it was in the, in the space of feeling good, inspiration, intuition, being in a high vibrational state is when the greatest things in our life start to occur. Absolutely. So, and, and, and it's when, and it's when things fall into place. So <clears throat> even being in a place of trying to control something that we want doesn't feel good. It feels like shit, right? And this is what I call like a manic manifester. So that manic manifester is just strangling their dreams. That doesn't feel good. In that state of not feeling good, you deflect opportunity. You deflect the, the inspiration. We get back into what we were talking about with the fear and the uncertainty and how you can't actually even see what's possible. So it's, it's really simple by you playing that game of saying, I'm, I'm going to focus on gratitude rather than what I don't have actually just puts you back into an energy of gratitude and an energy of feeling good. And then you become more of a magnet for what it is that you want rather than a magnet for what you don't want. It's that simple. So that's where surrender, that's the value of surrender. It gets you, it allows you to feel better. Gives so, you relief. Yeah. It, it is actually less work and less pain to be in that state than far in, less pain yeah. in the state that you and I were both in. Um, you were successful though, when you, uh, when you were feeling a lot of pain and struggle, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I was successful in the areas of my life that I didn't have any disbelief. Right. So you can have success in certain areas. Like I always had career success because it was where I was most inspired. It was where I was most excited. It was where I was most, uh, most deeply moved. Uh, it was, it actually many, in many cases and throughout my life, it was, uh, it was the place that actually saved me because there was so much else going on in other areas of my life that were so difficult that thank God I had this, this successful, not even the successful career, but a career that, that was healing me as I was helping to serve others. And, and by writing these books or getting on a stage, I would borrow the benefits of reiterating and re, re, re really putting out again and again and again the same message because it was something I was living for myself. But in that same period of time, I might have been struggling physically with inflammation or gut conditions, the PTSD symptoms. So it's it's not that you can't have good experiences while you're going through tough stuff. And it's not that you can't have good times. But yeah. that there is a there is a, a, a way of living that is far better than the way that we've many of us have lived. You talk about sutras that you know there's six sutras in your audible book and what is a sutra for people who don't know what sutras are and why are the things you have sutras versus you know, the big sutras that we've all heard about i refer to them as messages in the book but they're similar to sutras in that they're simplified messages that you can 
take with you, even saying them out loud, I choose to see creative possibilities, right? I, I welcome creative solutions. Uh, saying, I see through the lens of love. Saying these, these messages out loud, similar to a sutra, can have a benefit just with the phrase. And a sutra was a common phrase that you could memorize. And often when a sutra was used was when people couldn't read. So they could memorize that concept so that it could become a, uh, a guidepost, a, a, a prayer to return to or an affirmation. You know, I'm just using my words, but it's, it's a foundational belief system that gives a sense of inspiration. So the sutras, the, the messages in this book can be very related to the type of uh, ways that sutras would be used. The first sutra, you know, see through the lens of love, you just mentioned the first one uh, in your book, and um, help me understand. Okay, I'm going to put on my uh, uh, my oh, geez, I've I've been there kind of situation where uh, I used to weld uh, Toyota truck frames for a living. I put auto parts in boxes and I scooped ice cream at various times in my life. I bet you guys didn't know that, did you? All right. <laughs> so uh, when I, I I go back to those times in my life. Uh, and I say, all right, you know, things are a little bit desperate and I'm feeling lonely and, you know, all of the things that, that we go through as we evolve as people, what do you do to see through the lens of love? You're like, I, I, I think I'm going to make it to my next paycheck as long as I don't mind eating beans for a couple of weekends. Right. And, you know, I'm, I'm not feeling a lot of love right now. Right. And I'm not feeling a lot of success or safety. What, what's the way to see that through the lens of love? Like, totally. The, I always say that when we focus on what's thriving, we create more of what we want. So if you're in a situation, particularly a situation where you feel very desperate, is the absolute time to rely on these messages more than ever. <clears throat> really, when things are working out, they're highly beneficial as well. But when stuff is really tough, that's when, when changing your perspective can have the, can redirect the course of your life. So I've had many instances where, let me just give you an example, where I've been on the phone, uh, even about a few months ago, I was on the phone with a woman uh, who was doing customer service at Zara. Mm -hmm. I was calling uh, because something I ordered for my son was the wrong size. And, you know, I, I don't love, no one loves getting on a customer service call to get a refund or whatever. It's just annoying. This woman was so excellent with the, the energy that she extended through the phone was so positive, generous, kind. She changed my entire day. Wow. At the end of the call, I said to her, I know you're being recorded right now, but my name is Gabby Bernstein. My website's gabbybernstein.com. If you're ever looking for a customer service job, you have to reach out because I think you are fantastic. And if that woman ever reached out, I will hire her. Yeah. I will hire her. I don't know if she took me seriously, but I 100% will hire her. And so... And I really, really mean that. So it's, it's, you may be in a situation where you're in a, a job that you hate, right? Or you are unemployed. But when you focus on what's thriving, you create more of what you want. So even if you're like, well, nothing's thriving. Well, maybe you have a roof over your head right now and nothing's thriving, Gabby. But actually you have something to eat this morning. Nothing's thriving, Gabby. Well, you're listening to this fucking podcast, right? There's, you have some form of internet, right? So it's not like it's easy. Sure, it's a lot easier to do, but it's not, let me tell you something. It's not that easy for, for you know, celebrity rich people either, 
right? It's probably in some cases even harder to focus on what's thriving. People have no idea. I, I mean, you and I both know enough very highly successful people. A lot of them are so miserable and so afraid and so lonely. Some of the most so miserable lonely. people I know. <laughs> yeah. Some of the most miserable people I know. So, and some of the happiest people I know are those who just, just have whatever they need to get by. So it, I'm in no way wanting to minimize the terror and the fear of what it could be to go through this pandemic without the resources that you need. I don't want to minimize that, but I do not want to reinforce the resistance. I want to inspire the, the, the shift because when we make that shift, that's truly when invisible doors open for us. It, it feels to me like when I do turn on that lens of love and I generally am there, uh, I would say 90% of the time, I mean, people mm -hmm. get pissed off and kind of forget it. Uh, certainly I do. Um, but it actually creates that feeling of safety. We're like, oh yeah, like, like even though there's X, there's a lot of good stuff and you know, people are, are, are worthy and you know, people want to help and all those good things. But if you That's forget right. that lens, you, those exact same people can look like people who want to harm or want to take from you or whatever else. It, it's always the same set of, of actual facts, but it's all just the interpretation. And so you're suggesting at least my interpretation of, of that first sutra or first message in your book is, is you, know, you get to choose how you interpret it. And that lens of love is the way to do it. It also is about <clears throat> interconnectedness and recognizing to, to seeing yourself and other people really giving yourself permission to uh, step outside your programming. Yeah. Yeah, there, there you go. And see and, and say, hey, you know, what would I be doing if all the all the you know, I'm, I'm a mother of a little boy. What would how would I be acting if I saw the white boys being shot in the streets? You know, what mm -hmm. would I be out there? I, you know, that that is that that thinking, that willingness to see through that lens of interconnectedness, recognizing myself as a mother and every other mother is me to 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 give me the. The, a, a far greater sense of awareness of, of, of who I want to be in the world. Okay. I like that. Uh, your second one, surrender to creative solutions. Okay. There's the surrender word again, but I've never heard of surrendering to creativity or to creative solutions. Why do you have to surrender to them versus seek them out or find them? Well, when you're in a state of fear or, or uncertainty, you we've said this over and over now, you can't find the creative solution because you're controlling, you're trying to manipulate the situation, you're obsessing about what's not working. That's where we need the surrender because you can't invite in a creative solution through force. You have to allow it to come through a, st a state of freedom. So when we pause through a meditation or through an intentional prayer, or even saying out loud, I surrender to creative solutions. Even just saying that out loud is affirming that you are letting go of your control and allowing something else to come through. And so this this is re, we've unpacked surrender already and that's where yep. this whole message comes in. When we surrender, we get out of the way so that we can allow a solution beyond our logical mind to come forward. We can't do that unless we step aside. Cats step aside. Okay. And that's why the surrendering happens. Um, I, my experience definitely matches that. Uh, some of the, the creative solutions I come up with are 
just it feels like I'm getting out of the way. And a Bulletproof mm. won the Forbes Top 20 Most Innovative Brands Award a couple of years ago, which was unexpected and really cool. So I'm going to say, based on external factors, um, we're at least in the top 10% there. Um, but a lot of that, it, just like you're saying, that the creativity, it isn't forced. You, you can't force creativity. You you stop and you relax and you think about something else and you're it, it comes but things don't come yes. when you're not surrendered if you're you know armored up and seeking and and questing it's harder to find than letting it come to you for lack of a you, better word you you're exactly right you can't force creativity creativity is a force it's its own force that's ready to move through you when you get aligned with it i i really like that and it flies in the face of all the the linear western rationalist things uh, however even in those domains you look at steve jobs oh yeah i kind of dropped acid to help me <laughs> figure out what i was doing like there was a spiritual side and there always mm -hmm. has been to the great mm -hmm. tech innovations of the last couple hundred years and probably before mm -hmm. that we just have less of a of a division between rational thought and between the spiritual side you go back to the alchemists you know four or five hundred years ago they couldn't tell the difference between science and nature and now we feel like there's right. a difference do you feel like they're coming back together again now yes yeah. yes why do you yes. think that's happening yes. i think that when everything falls apart people come back to what they know to be true in their in their core and their center i think that that we I believe that all humans have a, uh, uh, have the same desire. They want to be loved and give love. That is the core desire within every human. We just forget. We forget because of our upbringing. We, we forget because people forget because they had racist parents or they forget because they grew up in poverty or they forget because they were taught that they were better than others. They forget because whatever, whatever, whatever. Right. When we have our comforts and systems dismantled, like we have recently, we're left with ourselves. That's when we can either wake up to the truth or we can stay numb and, and, and stay stuck. I think a lot of people are waking up and saying there has to be a better way. There yeah. has to be a better way. As it relates to innovation and, and spirituality, I also think that, that the people are realizing the negative effects of stress more than they ever have before. You speak mm -hmm. about this a lot and how that stress is actually not, not only a physical issue and creates a lot of physical issues, but also a block to success. And I think that when people see meditation as a pathway to a more successful career, maybe a launch pad for them, maybe a starting point, that's great. However, however it can happen, however people get there. You're talking about stress. Um, how old's your son? He's uh, 20 months. 20 almost months. Almost two years. Oh my goodness, that's like the most fun age. Um, that's also it's the so fun. <laughs> oh, by the way, I gave him a bite of the Bulletproof bar the other day and he was like, like literally like mauling it. And oh, I think wow. about you sometimes when I like pour <laughs> butter on his food. I'm like, well, Dave says it's a good idea. It's good for his brain. It so is at that age. I remember that in your in your kids' book about like feeding your kid like like pounds of butter. And yeah. I was like, yeah, it's good for their brain. Anyway, sorry. We, we, we... I look at all of the other stress that kids are going through everywhere. 
right? Oftentimes a little bit more than 20 months old. Uh, but even then, and, and it feels like, like there's a lot going on there. What could parents do with the rules from, you know, from you are your own guru uh, or the messages, not rules, but what can they do with those things specifically for kids to reduce stress either as a parent or for a kid? There's a lot from this audible, but I also want to just give a, the, the most important okay. reference for all parents, and that's Dan Siegel. I'm not sure if you've done any of his work, but it's the most profound work about really understanding the child's brain. Yes. The whole brain child is a must read for all parents. You can, you know, Dan, you can record my voice saying that and repeat it over and over and over again, because it is it is, and you should have him on the podcast. I really think you should. I mean, he is profound. If you haven't I already, I, I think but. I've had him on. I'm ninety nine percent sure, and and he was at the, I think he was at the last biohacking conference. If I'm probably I, probably seven conferences, so so which dates get scrambled now. in my head, right? Yeah, Dan's also written a book um, called No Drama Discipline, which I would highly recommend right now. And um, Trauma Proofing Your Kids by Peter Levine, who's the founder of Somatic Experiencing. So let's put all these in the show notes. Those three books are must reads for all parents living through this pandemic okay. with their children. In the show notes, we're doing that. Most importantly, because what happens is, is that your child can be taught resilience through your ability to connect to their big feelings and emotions. But when we disregard a child's big feelings and emotions and just try to force them into problem solving, we create a attachment breach. We, we, we unconsciously say to them, you, you know, F you, your feelings don't matter. You know, shushing a child and saying, you're fine, you're fine, you're fine is literally like giving a kid a middle finger. And it's extremely disruptive, particularly when a child is going through such big upheaval as, as what they're experiencing right now in the world. So we, our, our work is, and there's another one called Hold Your Children Close or Hold Your Kids Close by Gabor Mate, yep. who was just He's another great. excellent one. The, the other guy, Dan Brown. Um, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm, whose work mm -hmm. on attachment Dan was just on. And also I found it, Dan Siegel's on episode 587. You found it. You yeah, found no, I, it. I knew that I, I'd interviewed him and he was at the sixth, not the seventh conference um, where he was on the main stage. And you're going to be on the main stage on our virtual conference this year, which is really cool. So I love it that you're bringing up his work, even though you probably didn't know that he'd been you know, a, a fellow speaker at the biohacking conference. There you go. Um, so thank you, by the way, for you know, sending people to the world's best. Dan Siegel's work is profound. Yeah, uh, it is. And, and so for parents, you're listening to this stuff. All of the biohacking applies doubly to kids because the ROI on doing something right when you're 20 months or one year or five years, the ROI is 10 times higher than doing it when you're 20 or 30. So healing yeah. a 30-year-old is possible, right? It just takes work. Physical healing hormonal healing or emotional spiritual healing, but just doing it, it takes so much less when, when it's a child, if right? If you can get it right for your kids, you can save them a lifetime of therapy and, 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 and you can save them a lifetime of, of, of addiction and PTSD. And, and it's not that you can, it's not that I can control what happens to Oliver, my son, but what I can control is how he learns 
to process his feelings. And I can't control it, but I can affect it. I can I can support how he learns to process feelings and emotions. And so we are we have a you know big phrase in our house like we love your big feelings, Ollie. Give, show us those big feelings. We, we and then the, really the simplest thing I've learned from Dan's work is connect and redirect. You can't say to a, a child from zero to twenty five, their brain is not fully developed. So their the lower part of their brain is where they live most of the time, and particularly the younger guys. And they can't get into that low brain into the upper brain for problem solving that fast. They can't just switch like that. They can't. They just physically, their brain cannot do it. So you have to connect with the lower brain before you can redirect with the logical part of the brain. So it, I'm not going to, I could go on an entire podcast on this content, but let's get, let's send them to the books. They're, they're the, excellent. Yeah, the, those are great books. And uh, there's one exercise that actually adults can use that I've used with my kids um, that I think I vetted it with Dan, uh, but it didn't come from him. Um, my daughter was was just freaking out. She must have been five or six or something. Because I don't know what's going on, and, and I'm like, "Oh, you're you're having feelings." Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just, mm-hmm. oh, really? I said, "Can you draw your feelings?" And she's mm-hmm. you know artistic. Totally. So she comes totally. home and she draws this you know red ball with a black Beautiful. dot or whatever it was. Beautiful. And she's oh, this feels so much better. So that idea of creating a lens. So the way that I generalize that, if I'm I'm talking you know with adults, is like if you're feeling freaked out. What does it actually look like? Not, mm-hmm. you know, the world around you, but what does it look like inside of you? Like where in the body is it? And this comes from the neurofeedback training that I do at 40 Years of Zen, because a big portion of what that 40 Years of Zen program is, at least the first three of the five days before we get into like the performance tuning, um, it is around identifying patterns that don't serve you. It's easier with a computer and then going into this reset mode so that you can uh, go through a, a defined process that we have um, where the computer helps you. And then you say, ah, I'm going to turn that off, right? And I'm going to cancel out this thing so it doesn't keep triggering you. And that should sound like another kind of technology that you already mentioned uh, at the, the your list of stuff you've done. EMDR, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you read my mind. Good. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. That's one of the other abilities that you've developed, right? Mind reading? Yes, mind reading. <laughs> <laughs> so, so tell me about your experience with EMDR and then I, I'll, I'll share one of mine. So freaking life-changing. So EMDR really uh, expands our window of tolerance. It gives us the, and it opens up our brain's capacity to to reprocess. Because when you hold a, in my case, I do it with buzzers, or you can have someone- Little vibrator things. Little vibrating buzzers in either hand. So go right, left, right, left, right, left. Uh, you can do it by tapping your shoulder right, left, right, left. You can do it with somebody, you know, somebody moving their hand back and their finger back and forth. So your eyes are moving. And EMDR stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. So when you practice EMDR, it's you, what's happening is it's stimulating this uh, bilateral brain functioning, which really opens up your brain's window of of and capacity to, and window of tolerance is what it's called to regulate past locked up emotional distress and, and and memory and trauma. And it can be something like trauma with a big T, like childhood sexual abuse, or it can be trauma with a small T, like, you know, I was on a plane that almost crashed, or that's actually a big T trauma. But let's say a trauma with a small T of, you know, I was bullied in, um, in the playground and I want to clean it up right now, right? Uh, again, that could have been trauma with a big T too. We'll find a small T. Tra- I think all trauma is a little big, but, um, but, but there's little things in our life that, you know, somebody called me stupid or, or, uh, 
you know, I saw this thing on the news that really freaked me out. Either it hurt or it didn't. But if it landed, it doesn't matter how small it seems. It doesn't if matter it, how big or small. If it left a mark, it it was trauma. Yeah. I EMDR I've been practicing for six years. It's been a major part of my trauma recovery. It has given me tremendous freedom and emotional freedom. It has it's a, I, I have my own buzzers. So I'm at the stage now where I don't think that this is something that's recommended to do without, without a practitioner, but no. I'm definitely <laughs> for myself safe enough to do it on my own. So I, I buzz when I'm, you know, activated or whatever, but it's changed my neural pathways. And, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting when you think about neuroplasticity, we really have the capacity to adjust our brain and I'm, I'm living it right now. I'm living it right now. I'm experiencing the full-blown experience of seeing myself in situations that once used to activate and trigger the you-know-what out of me. And now I'm like, okay, okay, yeah. there it is. Okay. It, it, it loses its weight, right? Yes. And it, and, and it's, it's an interesting thing because I, I also really have had the benefit uh, and the privilege of practicing EMDR while simultaneously working with IFS. And IFS is internal family systems uh, invented by Richard Schwartz, who's an uh, unbelievable guy. And and Dr. Schwartz, Dr. Richard Schwartz really, you know, invented this concept that we're all multiples, that we what, are all. Walk me through an IFS session, like a, a typical one, because a lot of people listening have never heard of IFS. Sure. So First, to just to unpack IFS, it's it's internal family systems, and and Dick Schwartz worked was a was a family therapist, and he then was working at one point in a clinic with women who had um, bulimia, and I believe what happened was he started noticing them talking about these different parts of themselves, like the part of me that wants to binge, and then the part of me that wants to hide, and and then then he also started to notice that when they would get to a calm place in the session, there was a realm where they could resource themselves. It was like this, this, what he called the self with the big S the, and I was calling it inner wisdom or inner guidance system. But the, the, the part of ourselves that can be the carer that really can take care of all these other parts. And, and the concept is that we have, there were all multiples that, that multiple personality disorder is not a disorder. We all have it. Just some people got so blown out to the point where they believe they're different people because of such a traumatized event that they got so blown out that they actually did separate and you know can go into different personalities. But the concept being that we have lots of different parts, right? So I've got the 10-year-old who sometimes freaks out. My 10-year-old like, you know, wants to freak out. I've got knives out. I've named my parts. Knives <laughs> out, you know, when I feel like someone's attacking me, I you know, knives out, I'm gonna attack back, right? I've got the 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 self part of me, the the that 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 is the that is the 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 loving part of me that can bring all the other parts back to safety. That self to me is resembled by me holding my son. You know, if I see an image of myself holding my son, I see that that's the same way I can care for myself. So in an IFS session, it begins with really getting to know your parts. So your therapist would work with you to notice how you're feeling and start to describe your feelings in your body. And there's three different parts. There's the protector parts, there's the exiles, and there's the firefighters. 
So the protector part is knives out, right? You know, you mess with me, I'm going to mess back with you, right? Uh, the firefighter is the part of somebody who's like, oh my God, I can't feel that. Let me go pick up a drink right now. The addict. Like, let me go put the fire out with whatever addiction I have, right? And then the exile is the part of us, the, the, the shame of being abused as a child, that shameful part. Or the exile is the, the, the kid who was overweight that I never want to see that. I never want to touch that feeling ever again, right? So we've exiled these parts of ourselves. And the protectors are the parts that just manage. They're just managing all day long, keeping down those feelings of those exiled parts. So it's getting to know those parts. And so the therapist would ask you or whoever's in the room, would the protector step aside so I can hear from this other part? And for so many years, I'd be like, I, who the hell am I stepping aside for? You know, right. like, but then I've had experiences in IFS where I've actually become the part. It's trippy, Dave. Okay. <laughs> where I've been like, all of a sudden I'm like this, like, terrified little girl and I'm speaking differently. It's crazy what can happen. You can just, your whole physicality can change. Everyone has those parts in there. The problem is that it takes a certain degree of surrender in order to be able to allow one of them to come forward. And I, I've, you know, I mentioned I've done IFS work and, and all that. And you're like, wow, there really is, you know, that, that kid who was bullied and the overweight kid. And there, there are components of your personality and for you to have awareness you know, which one, uh, which one is, uh, is stepping forward, which one is, mm -hmm. is, you know, what, what's the ratio, what's the mix of these things. So if you're a mixologist, you know, at a bar, you know, how much of which ingredient you have in there, there's always some of everything in there. Uh, and when you're fully you know put together, you're operating the way you want to. And every now and then something pushes and all of a sudden, you know, you way over poured the vodka and you're like, why, <laughs> why am I acting this way? Right. So there, there's great value in, in that stuff. And and these are things where you know, if, if you're listening to this and you know you're you're 25 or something going, what? Like that sounds like BS. Look, this is not what Gabby's saying. This is not what I'm saying. These are based on huge amounts of research and huge yes, amounts of research. data. Yes. And it yes. matches traditional Chinese medicine. It matches shamanic teachings. Mm -hmm. It matches ancient Gnostic knowledge from, mm -hmm. you know, Christianity back in the days. So every great tradition has come upon these in their own way. They have their own language, but this is actually the human condition. And I, I like yeah. it that you, you're just out there and talking about this. I'm writing a book about uh, my own trauma recovery. And so I'm really in my, I mean, I'm just like nerding out and listening to, you know, listening and learning everywhere. But, but I, even though that that's not out until 2022, okay. I really want to have these conversations with people like you right now who have audiences like yours, because I want to even just slightly introduce these, these types of modalities so that people who are suffering know that there is relief the same way you feel about neurofeedback. You're like, I want everybody to know about sure. this because it's, it's like you can have relief. Uh, one way to get that relief is even EFT. It's like if you can't get an EMDR therapist, you can go on YouTube and do a Brad Yates video with emotional freedom technique and tap along. And tapping similar to, to to EMDR just unlocks that fight or flight and allows you to open up your window of tolerance. Yeah, I've had a, a variety of people on about EFT. I think Nick Ortner's been on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's see, Dawson Church has been on. I know I'm going to forget like like two or three other people who have talked about it uh, in different episodes. Um, but uh, tapping is another technology. And, and my goal has always been to bring these advanced transpersonal uh, 
derived transpersonal psychology derived techniques into the world of biohacking. I didn't put them in at the very beginning uh, just because I thought it would make people, you know, pretty much just say this is crazy pants stuff. See, even light therapy was too much at the beginning of biohacking. Yeah. Right. Not anymore. Um, so, you know, now we've got light therapy in there. We've got peptides and it's time for the the transpersonal stuff. And neurofeedback is certainly a part of that. Let me tell you about my EMDR um, uh, experience uh, because I think it's it's illuminating for people listening. Just so you, you guys understand, this is this is real stuff. Gabby is is a very successful person. I'm doing all right as well, right? And so we have done this and are willing to talk about it. And for everyone in our situation, there's hundreds or thousands more who just do it and don't really mention yeah, I went to the therapist's office, but I was doing EMDR because they just, you know, it's not public. So um, I primarily process my old traumas through neurofeedback and there aren't yeah. a lot of them left, but the problem is you don't, you don't know about them. If they're hidden they're, they're you wouldn't think about it because it rationally doesn't make sense. So a few years ago, um, I had a, a major podcaster, now probably the top podcaster in the world came after my reputation for financial benefit. Like, so I, it, it went from, you know, one day, hey, Dave, thanks for Bulletproof Coffee, my brain works again, to Dave, you're a lying bastard, 25,000 bullies, you know, go destroy Dave's social media. And so I will tell you, it pushed buttons for me and, and I was really rocked and I couldn't really figure out why, but all I knew is like, like, like this isn't all right. And what it was, it, it took me about six months to figure this out. Um, it was a sense of injustice, right? Where yeah. I did everything right, I was helping people and now I'm yeah. getting punished and I didn't deserve it. Yeah. And I had not had a chance to go do my 40 years of Zen stuff, um, but we had a great EMDR practitioner who used to be a hostage negotiator uh, near us. Yeah. So uh, I said, I said, I'm just going to try this. And I hadn't done a lot of EMDR before that. Um, and in one session, I sat down and she did the thing with you know your eyes where you move back and forth. And this situation from first grade popped into my head where another, yep. I, I told the teacher a kid was doing something destructive. Yep. He then told the teacher, no, I had done it. And then I get punished when I did yep. the right thing. And there's that sense of just like first grade, like rage and then yep. lack of safety. And like this podcaster who was just trying to make a buck because he's an investor in a guy in a brand that tried to steal my work. Um, and everyone knows who he is anyway. But um, anyway, I, it really pushed my buttons. And I was like, I was uncentered by this. And as soon as I recognized that during the session, I, I kind of saw it shrink in in value and all that, or shrink in in importance. Uh, and then I went and I followed that up. Now that I knew what to work on with some neurofeedback, and after Beautiful. that, I was like, "Wait a minute! Every time he says my name, I sell more coffee. Like it doesn't yeah. matter that he says That's I'm right. a bad person. That's right. But man, That's right. I couldn't see that for six months. I was like, completely, right. my team's like, Dave, what's wrong? Right. And I'm like, I just don't want to post right. anything right now. Like I'm I'm just tired of all these like bullies coming in. And right. that was what EMDR did. It was, it let me associate. Little Dave my, was triggered. Yeah. It was like my, my, my current, my, my feelings now were identical to first grade feelings, but I didn't know totally. it. So that first grade pissed off thing was emerging, which I probably could have done some internal family systems, but that's biohacking. Like that's what's yeah. the tool to turn off the emotion, the behavior that isn't serving you, that you didn't choose. And that feels like it's in charge when it's not supposed to be. Correct. And, so that was that was my story there. <laughs> but it's also important to recognize, like from an IFS perspective, that there's no bad parts. So that yeah. first grade Dave has had a really important role in your sure. life, you know, 
first grade Dave might have been a driving force behind your business. And first grade, I like first grade yeah. Dave. That's like, you could write a whole thing about first grade <laughs> Dave. But like, you know, first grade Dave may, may have kept you safe at times, oh, right? Of course, when you felt right. like you were being attacked. And so there's, there's, it's, it's about letting yourself really resolve and support first grade Dave, but at the same time, not in any way shunning him and, and really welcoming him to the conversation, welcoming him, welcoming whatever he needs to feel heard and supported the same way you would with your kids. Mm -hmm. So, so really the same way a family system would work in terms of welcoming all the parts and not exiling any of them, a healthy family system. Uh, We would, we would do that for little, little first grade Dave. So yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, the next thing for you, if you haven't done it, we'll get into this on another show probably is, is somatic experiencing. Yeah. Yeah. The SE work is really rocking my world. Oh yeah, you're working on it right now. Oh yeah, I, I'm like studying all these. Things. I'm like in the trainings. Yeah. Nice. I, yeah. I'm excited when your your next book comes out uh, because uh, your next book about uh, trauma stuff. I I just have to say, if you're like I was, you know the the invulnerable, highly successful, you know, super smart entrepreneur. I'm going to go take over the world and buy a fry or whatever. There is a 100% certainty that you have trauma that's driving your behavior and your motivation. 100%. And you're not supposed to see it. It is meant to be invisible and it and it doesn't feel like it's doing anything uh, harmful to you. In fact, it probably feels like your source of energy. And all of that is painful beyond belief. Mm-hmm. It's just mm-hmm. all wrapped up in there. So once you kind of put the key in the lock and you have the right tools, techniques, the right support, the right people, the right belief systems, whatever else, magically, uh, everything gets easier, like 10 times easier. And that was why I started the neurofeedback company. Um, for me, that was the thing that moved the needle the most to make everything easier, faster. And that mm-hmm. involves being vulnerable. In fact, it involves all six of the things that are in your book, which is why you know I wanted, um, I wanted you to come on now and talk about it because um, this is actually how you make it better, faster, and easier. Um, mm. And it's by stopping being in your own way. And I thought you did just a fantastic job of pulling out six things um, that really stood out. And all of them are mushy sounding because they're sutras, mm-hmm. but your explanations of them, I think, are are worthy. So I'm just encouraging people, like, it's it's an audible thing. Download it, listen to it. It's called you can You're get the it for Guru. free, pretty much. Yeah. You can get it for free, yep. When you're an audible listener, if you do the 30-day trial, you can get these. That's why I think you should do it because it's like a lot of people can just, just get it for free. Okay. Yeah, I think I'm going to do an, an audible only book. I have to chat with my publisher and agent and all that because I, I have one that's like ready, but it, I don't know that it's quite a written book for me yet. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, guys, if you want me to do an audible only book, uh, actually tell me on, on Instagram, send me a quick DM. Just like, Dave, do They're the audible book. They're all going to say yes. They're all going to say yes, well, yes, yes. If they Everybody do, I'm just going to count. Dave. I'm going to count those and send them to my and agent them as to evidence that I should there do it. Go. See, that's yeah. why I'm, <laughs> I'm stacking the deck. <laughs> all right. I want to ask you one more thing for listeners. And you've talked about uh, EFT, these tapping techniques. Is there a specific tapping sequence or uh, something you should say when you're tapping that you think would be most useful for listeners or most useful for one of the messages in your book that you could teach us now? Yeah. I'd like to give people uh, two practices for feeling safe. Because I think that, that that a driving force right now is this feeling of unsafe, uncertainty, and being unsafe. So one tapping technique is there's um, there's this this one point that's 
right between your pinky and your ring finger. And it's like that meaty little spot right there. Mm -hmm. Can you see what I'm doing, everybody? Okay. So uh, tapping that point, that's the gamut point, otherwise known as like the holy shit point. Like, you know, you're you're on the plane and you're scared of that the plane's going to crash. You know? Or, you you know, you're you're scared of spiders and there's the spider. So this is when you're feeling unsafe. This is your point. And you can tap this point and just breathe deeply. And on the inhale, let your diaphragm extend. And on the exhale, let it relax. And as you breathe in and out, you will just simply say to yourself out loud or just silently to yourself, I am safe. Breathing. I am safe. Yeah, I am safe. All right. I am safe. You could do this for 10 minutes, one minute, 30 seconds. I am safe. Teach this to your kids. I am safe. This point and the the words and the breath will stimulate the vagus nerve, give you a whole new regulation. So beautiful. And you can just start to feel that safety come over you. And it doesn't matter which hand. It's not at all. Not at all. And then and then the other one is a hold. I think it's called like a Jiu-Witsu hold or something. This is something I learned in the SE work. It's your right hand over your heart, your left hand over your belly. And you just breathe in and again, breathing in through the diaphragm and exhaling out through your mouth or in through your nose and out through your mouth. And this is a hold I like to do when I'm meditating. I also do this hold while I'm before I go to sleep at night. And just you can go back to that affirmation, that mantra, I am safe. I am safe. Or you can just focus on your breath, focus on the in-breath and focus on the out-breath. And just really sit with this hold for a while, for as long as it feels like it's regulating you. And that hold in itself is is really regulating. And then the breath is going to, the breath is the answer. The breath is the key to safety. And then if you feel ready, you can affirm it. I'm safe. I am safe. Yeah. Yeah. Two tools. Awesome. So these sound like like kind of soft spiritual things you do wearing white robes with candles. I'll just tell you they work and you don't need to have white robes and candles or, you know, rainbow, uh, you know, unicorns or anything like that. It's, it's actually just techniques that talk to the body at a level the body understands. Uh, so I, I want you to, to suspend disbelief. If you decide to do these things, I have seen the most hardcore Silicon Valley grizzled engineers who believe that we are meat robots do these kinds of exercises and literally burst into tears. <laughs> so, like, well, what's happening also is is it's stimulating the vagus nerve, which regulates your entire nervous system. So, you know, it's it, there is actually a biological thing happening. It's not just you know, it's not just this like woo woo. Okay, what am I doing? There's something happening in your in your physical uh, in your physical body and and even in your brain. So it's it's important to to accept that as well. It is. Now, Gabby, your work in its total is at gabbybernstein.com. Uh, your newest book is on Audible. You could just go to Audible and Google Gabby Bernstein, and it'll uh, it'll show up, obviously. And uh, I I believe that it's uh, it's worth your time to listen to that. Certainly, if you think it's worth your time to listen to uh, Bulletproof Radio, this is more detailed things. Gabby and I just spoke about the things that that came to mind you know we we both prepped for the interview but it was it was not the same as writing a whole book which is thousands of hours 
So if you got something out of an hour and change with us, I promise you that her audiobook will have a higher ROI than this episode just because of the prep time that went into it. The other thing that's going to have a huge ROI is the virtual biohacking conference because you're listening to this a few days before it happens October 10th. And Gabby's going to be a featured speaker at the conference. She's going to have a new topic for you. So you'll get a lot of Gabby goodness this week. So if this show spoke to you, you need to go sign up for the virtual biohacking conference. You'll also hear from Jay Shetty, Susie Batiste, Dr. Perlmutter, Mark Hyman, Maria Shriver, good friends, people who are teaching resilience in the world. And yes, I did name it. It's called How to Stay Bulletproof When the Fit Hits the Shan. There'll be breakout yeah. sessions, speaker meetups, abilities to actually interact with people, even a virtual tech hall to play with the toys. So I'm really excited to see you there. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.